I'm matchmaker Maria, the founder of Agave Match. For over a decade, I've combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, I answer your dating and relationship questions and interview experts to give you the tools to find or keep the love of your life. This is Ask a Matchmaker. Welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker hotline episode. This week, I have a special guest. It's uh, someone I sleep with. <laughs> no, it's my husband. <laughs> it's George, uh, my husband. Um, I don't know how yeah. else to introduce you. Is that sad that that's your title here? You're my husband? I am your husband, yeah. I'm matchmaking Maria. That's how people give me the superstore or the supermarket when they see me. So yeah, good to what be here. What do you say? Oh, you're matchmaking Maria's husband. But there's more to you. You're an engineer. You're a scientist. Mm-hmm. You are a food connoisseur and amateur chef. And you're an awesome dad. So you have multiple titles in this house. Yeah, that's true. But I think in your audience, I'm not as much making Maria's husband. Yeah. So welcome to the hotline, matchmaker Maria's husband, George Periotakis. Um, so uh, let's talk about this week before we go into questions. How is your week going? It's going really well. Um, I did mention earlier today in my stories that after a very long time, I was able to find a local library book sale today. Uh-huh. It was opening day, so I went there and uh, I relived my uh, college years. We used to go there all the time and get books. And it was awesome. I found some really cool books and probably I'm going to be going there again. Tell me about your complaint, though. You had a complaint at the. At yeah. The sale. So, you know, when I used to go there, people who used to shop at the. So all local libraries, they do take donations of all books. And usually what they do, they once or twice a year, they have a book sale. They sell these books and with the profits, they buy new books for the library. Uh, and usually when I went, like, I don't know, uh, 20 years ago for the first time, people buying books from themselves. There are always these people that will show up like the last day with shopping carts and just put like everything there, try to sell them on eBay. But now it has become like a professional. Half the people there had their phone out and were scanning the barcodes and it will tell them how much this particular book was going on, uh, on eBay. And they will just sell it on eBay, which I think defeats the purpose. I, I think the local libraries, they sell books, uh, use books, so you can access them. So for the local people to have access to inexpensive books. And, you know, one of the people there, uh, there was a lady, she had this uh, ring with a barcode reader on the ring. And she was holding one phone uh, with one hand, the, the phone, and with the other hand, she was just kind of like book after book after book. And every time she will see the price she likes, she will just put the book in the bag. And I, I don't know. That, that's how I feel. I know that, you know, a lot of people do this type of work. I blame Gary V for that, but um, th- that's, that's tell, how tell it is. Tell us more uh, about that. Hold on. What? I just found it on Amazon, the ring scanner. Yeah. $60, $75. You can get one as low as $43. Yep. Jeez. Oh, All right. You found a really, uh, you found a, some really good things though for like our house. Like you found mm-hmm. this one Greek cookbook that's like in really basic terms with like, like I, I you know, I was slipping through it and it had some Greek recipes in it. Uh, that I was like, wow, this is like three steps. You know, usually when I open up a Greek cookbook, it's giving me an origin story. It's giving me like too much instructions. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, this one's like, okay, here's all the ingredients. Put them all in a pan. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Great. Like, First of all, it's a great cookbook because as you said, it has simple recipes, very traditional recipes. And then one thing that's actually very important for me, at least, is that it's written by Nicolaus Selamedes. Selamedes was the first cookbook author in Greece. And he connected his name so much with cooking books that in Greece, like my mom, my grandmother, they will not say, get the recipe book. They will say, get the Tselemede book or the Tselemede. Like it was, it became so much synonymous with cooking. And I was very happy. I was looking actually for his books in Greece and they're sold out for many, many decades now because they're from the fifties. And I just ha- happened to find one translation here that I'm like, I'm getting this. 
I just found it on Amazon. It's called Greek Cookery. Yeah. Um, it was published in 1956. There's only one available on Amazon. And it's mm-hmm. a hardcover for $90. Yeah, that's the one basically I got. Well, how much did you get it for? For four dollars? Two dollars. Two dollars. Yeah. But we're not selling it. Like I uh yeah, the no, no. It, no, no, no. The moment he brought it home, I was just like, oh, this is not even going on the library. Like this is gonna be in our kitchen. Or maybe we need to photocopy everything first and then just have like the paper photocopy and then yeah. put it on the library. That's what I was thinking, actually. Yeah, that's a good idea. We'll digitalize it, digitize it and uh, digitize it. You know what you could do? This could be your new uh like a like a your new TikTok uh series one yeah. episode a day like one uh one recipe every day or every week i don't know how you want to do this uh mm-hmm. you could be like the julia child yeah G- george um, and nicholas exactly <laughs> well let me tell you about my week so i have jury duty this week so uh, i have not been selected for a case but i am twiddling my thumbs uh i just want to say that i am one of those people that hopes to never get excused from jury duty because i happen to have my first round of jury duty in 2012 and I got selected and it was amazing. I mean, it was like a criminal case for a drug charge. So nothing, you know, scandalous, I suppose, but for the first time ever, um, and I was, I think 20, I think it was like 26 years old when I was, uh, in jury duty for the first time ever. Um, I was able to see like what the court system is like. Um, I'm not a lawyer, you know, thankfully I've not been in, uh, in court, uh, like that. And I like, I guess most people, my perception of law was law and order, which is insanely inaccurate (laughs) of my experience when I was in a jury in 2012. Um, and it was just interesting to see, you know, how, justice is served, I suppose. And what it also means to be like a jury of your peers, um, doing jury duty is I think a life-changing experience. Even if you don't get selected just to be in a room of your peers, like what does that mean? And when I served jury duty in New York city, you know, it was like 200 random people that showed up on this one day. Uh, And I remember too, it was February, it was Valentine's day of 2012, uh, which is what an excellent day to get selected for jury duty when you're a matchmaker and that's your busy week. But anyway, uh, but being in there and seeing 200 people in jury duty, it's, you know, you got every single race, every single ethnicity, every single religion, uh, or, or even, you know, people who don't believe in, don't necessarily subscribe to a faith. You had all different lifestyles. Uh, and, and this was evident by like when it came to jury selection, right? Like they ask you all these questions, you got to hear people's stories. You got to hear reasons why people were getting excused and why someone would not be excused. Uh, that was just, it was just a really fascinating to, to see that snapshot because I don't think a lot of us may be aware of what it means to be judged by your peers um, or what, what it means to, you know, have that much diversity in a room, at least in New York city. Um, you know, my jury duty in New Jersey has been over zoom right now. <laughs> so like I said, totaling my thumbs, um, but yeah, interesting. Nonetheless, uh, what else did I do this week? Because I knew I was having jury duty. I woke up on Monday morning really early and got myself a chemical peel. Um, and as a result, I have not been wearing any makeup, but I also feel like it's my first time doing a chemical peel and I'm not really saying this to you, George, cause I know you really don't care, but I'm saying this to my mm-hmm. listeners, but, um, it's day three and I feel like one, my face is already starting to look a little bit smoother. I have a lot of insecurities as it comes to like my pores. My pores are like massive. I have very oily skin. Um, so I'm starting to see like some texturing, uh, issues, like are starting to smooth out, no pun intended. Um, and then also I see that the texture of my skin, like not figuratively, but like even literally is starting to change. I I feel like I'm going to start shedding tomorrow. I only got two layers of chemical peel. If we're talking like technical stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'll grow to more layers. Is it layers? I don't know what the right words are here. So excuse me. I'm not an esthetician. Um, also my first time I'll learn the lingo as I go, but, uh, yeah. So, you know, jury duty zoom, I was just like, okay, this doesn't, 
I also had a very different idea of what it would look like because I watched TikTok. I thought my face would be like bright red, but no, no, no redness at all. Um, so yeah, that's, what's been going on on my end here. Uh, and then also this is probably the riskiest episode that we've ever recorded because we're both recording at the same time in the same house, just in separate rooms. Uh, Mm -hmm. while our child just threw up all over the bed, his bed. And we had to clear that up before we got on call, (laughs) before we got on the microphone. He's living uh, right here. And if you hear snoring, it's not me. Um, So have you ever heard, have you ever like listened to a hotline episode before? Yeah, those are my favorites. What, why do you like them? Uh, Because there are different uh, stories that you hear. I like the discussion that happens and, you know, you can relate a lot more, I think. Well, I'm really happy you're here to get your perspective. Um, I also want people to know that you are a bit of a matchmaker as well. Um, Lately, we've been trying to set up our single friends with each other. And I think two of them are going, you're one of your friends and one of my friends are going on a date on Friday. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, big deal. Um, but yeah, George, uh, with this specific friend he's setting up, um, I he has told me like when he comes home uh, a couple of months ago, I think you were like telling him, you looked at his online dating profile and you were telling him what changes to make based on all the TikToks you've seen me do. Oh my God, yeah. I, I feel that the, I know how to do the perfect uh, dating profile now. What do you need in the perfect dating profile? Generally speaking, you have to pick your prompts really carefully to say things that you want to find to the other person. That's the number one thing. Then the first picture. What's the second part? So you need to select your prompts that you answer there very carefully. Uh huh. Um, So you can give a good idea of what you're looking for. You Uh, shouldn't be writing what you're looking for. You should be writing things about you that will help someone self-select themselves towards your profile yeah yeah but like also not write things like uh i look someone to cook me breakfast every morning or to cook me dinner every morning night you know some more like to talk more about your values basically yeah uh that's that's one and then the the three pictures i remember the first one has to be uh close up (laughs) look at the camera smiling no sunglasses no hats unless they're very unique and very cool uh second should be a full body shot and third one should be something that you enjoy doing. I wish, uh, I don't know if anyone wants to screenshot my face while like this is happening, but I am like proud wife over here. I am so proud of you right now, George. Thank You're you. amazing. So another thing that's been happening this week, George, as you know, is that my mom is in the hospital. She's been in the hospital yeah. since last week. Um, I think she's getting discharged tomorrow. So by the time this episode comes out, I hopefully she'll be home and, you know, we're making a recovery as much as you can recover when you're in my mom's condition. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, yesterday I went to visit and she was so high from one of the pain medications that they had given her that, um, she was like crushing really hard about her doctor who was like a very young South Asian man. Um, like, I don't know. I, he must be a resident. I don't even think he's like, you know, he's full like attending. Um, he just looks really young. I could be completely wrong. Um, and she's crushing and you know what? He is good looking. I've only seen his eyes and like the top of his nose. Cause he's wearing a mask when I talk to him. Uh, but he is probably the best looking doctor I've seen at that hospital ever. And that's saying a lot because my mom's, um, cardiovascular surgeon is like, I thought up until that point, the hottest guy in the hospital, like he looks like Barack Obama's cousin or something. Wow. Okay. So yeah, my mom was really crushing hard on that. Um, but uh, you know, she'll hopefully be home tomorrow and um we can celebrate Mother's Day. What else is happening? Oh, um, yeah, uh, this is a really important announcement. I'm hosting a Eurovision party on May 13th. There is a link in the show notes for you to register uh to come to that party. So tickets will sell out if you want to come and hang out for my Eurovision party, May 13th. The ticket includes a welcome toast and a specialty cocktail. Uh, We're also raffling off prizes. Um, It's gonna be a great time. The link is going to be in the show notes. So have a click, register, 
I can't wait to see you on Saturday, May 13th. George will be there as well. Hmm. Okay. So uh, let's talk about the questions that I received this week on Ask a Matchmaker. Someone asked a long distance question. Oh, we're good at long distance stuff. Yeah, we really are. We're definitely the experts. So someone asked, how far do you consider long distance? One hour drive, flight, et cetera. Before I tell you my answer, what do you consider long distance? A one hour flight, it is long distance because that's equals about maybe like four hours driving, five mm-hmm. hours driving. But one hour driving is not long distance. Um, that No, that's tough. That's just a drive. But I wrote, I just, I answered the question in the opposite way. I said, too much long distance is the distance you can't afford to do every two weeks and vice versa. That's so actually like, a very good definition. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay. This is an interesting question. I'm going to tell you my answer too, because I know you and I sometimes, it's not that we like completely disagree, but you know that I roll my eyes to this. So someone wrote going to Crete. This is a Greek question. Mm -hmm. So they wrote going to Crete, Milos and Athens this summer will be, will we be sad? We skip Sadorini. So I wrote a big answer. I wrote, not really. I avoid Sadorini at all costs, LOL. You're going to be so overwhelmed with new and fun experiences. You're not going to be thinking of Sadorini. There's like 700 islands. No one is experiencing FOMO on any of them. I just want to add that Greece will still be around next year and the year after that, insinuating that if you want to go Santorini, you can always go then. Uh, but I went to Santorini for two days in 2004 and I was like, okay, that's nice. Uh, but there are so many other great islands. And for me personally, Santorini, Sadorini doesn't even register on my top 10. Um, Sandorini is on my t- top 10 islands, but I don't think they're going to get FOMO for not going to Sandorini. Um, also, they're visiting it, the Crete, like the island that you're from. Yeah. <laughs> Sandorini for me, it's kind of the, the New York, um, you know, the Times Square of New York, but for Greece. So it's like the place that is really fancy. You see a lot of pictures you want to go, but once you go there, there's nothing really much to do. There's no, there's, there's no beaches. There's no beaches. There's no there, beaches. There's nothing there to do. Like there's nothing there. Like there's not like the little um, museum you can visit or a nice village or anything. It's just like a little island that has oversold the blue and white um, village that they have there, which you can which, go, you can take some pictures and that's it. Which exists. That aesthetic exists on other islands in that oh, island yeah, chain, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other, look, Sadorini does have a few things to do, so I, I'm not going to lie. Okay. When I say it has no beaches, um, what we mean by that is that yes, there are like a couple of beaches in Sadorini. Sadorini is though, is the, the rim of a collapsed volcano. That's why it looks the way it does. That's why you can visit the caldera on, you know, a day trip. Mm-hmm. Um, when we say that there's no beaches, the beaches that are there, they are, pulled off lava from thousands of years ago. So you can't really just like walk into the beach. You, first of all, you have to wear sandals until you get to the water because like I said, lava rock, uh, and then it's very slippery. So it's not like every other beach in Greece where you can frolic around, maybe play racquetball, you know, and whatnot. It's really hot there. Your hotel should probably have a pool. Um, what Sadorini has a lot of is tourists. Uh, not Greek tourists, you're going to be surrounded by a lot of foreign tourism, which is fine. There's plenty of places in the world like that. Um, but also what you'll see a lot of is, uh, gastronomy experiences. So, you know, it has fantastic restaurants. It's a very expensive Island, uh, for all the reasons I just said, and it has an aesthetic for me personally, it's not on my top 10 it's on your top 10 and that is okay. And I want to mention again, there's 700 islands in Greece. (laughs) But uh, Crete, Paros, and what other island they said? Milos? They're going to Crete and Milos and Athens. Yeah, I think those are higher than Santorini, even in my list. Like definitely Crete. Crete is like the best island in Greece to visit. I have Crete as my number two. Okay. Who can agree on that? Yeah. I have Sifnos as my number one. I am from Crete, by the way. That's why I just want to clarify that I'm from Crete. That's why it's my number one. Um, Alonisos is probably my number five, which is the island that I'm from, mm-hmm. but that's only because I'm biased for that one. But, yeah, you're yeah, it higher, I think probably number three. Where? Alonisos. You would put that number three? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I mean, I'm so you know, honored that you see that. When, when it comes to Greek islands, everything has its own culture and something unique to offer. 
So it has to fit your lifestyle, right? Like if you want to be in a party island, you're going to go to Mykonos. Like or that's Skathos. where the, the, or, or Skathos. Yeah, the Greek Ibiza, basically. That's it. Like that's where you're going to go. If you want to do something like family oriented, Paros is a great island for that. Uh, Naxos the same. Uh, if you want to do a little bit more adventure, you can go to Crete because it has a lot of different things to do. It has mountains. You can do rock climbing. You can do hiking. Kalimnos. You can do swimming. Kalimnos. So it's really like what fits uh, your bill. You know, it, it, there's no like one best island you, you can put. I personally am more like on the quiet family guy, go to the little local place to eat something, go to the beach. That's why Crete is number one. Uh, Alonso's is in the top three because of the same reasons. So. Alonso's is this teeny tiny island in the North Aegean. I'm actually going to be visiting my family there this summer. So there will definitely be stories about Alonso's uh, in a couple months. Um, and I'm so excited to share about that island because I haven't been there in four years. And I'm just, I'm just so excited to see my family and share in that experience uh, with everyone who's listening. Okay. Uh, let's see what other questions that I have. Here we go. All right. Ready? How to convince mm -hmm. boyfriend of two years that our month Euro trip is the same as living together before the ring. So I think what is happening is that someone I, you know, I usually say like, don't move in until don't move in with each other until there's a ring. And I guess he wants to move in before the ring because mm -hmm. he wants to know, like, I don't know, test run or whatever. Um, and she's saying our trip to Europe, that's a whole month is the equivalent of us moving in. So whatever you need to know about me, you're going to know that month. Do you agree with that? Um, not a hundred percent. I do think that one uh, month on a trip will really uh, make you, give you the opportunity to know the other person way better living with them like every day. But it's a, not a daily environment. It's an environment you go on vacation, you're a little bit more carefree, uh, you're having fun. And it's different living with someone, you know, under daily life when you have like, uh, you know, work stresses and um, uh, all these other issues that you don't, you typically ignore when you're on vacation. So I don't think it's the same. I think it will give you a fairly good idea. But you also, they've been dating for two months, two years, right? So they should know by now a little bit more from, from each other too. What do you think about that? Well, I, look, what you said is, you know, it's definitely correct. You know, there's definitely home stress life that exists that you're not participating in. But after two years, you surely should know what those work stress environments look like. You don't have to sign a lease to know those things. You could just stay over each other's house for two weeks and still pay mm -hmm. your own rent and learn those things, right? No one's asking yeah. you to only do one night over, you know, take a luggage, stay for two weeks. You'll know everything you need to know or run through Ikea on a Saturday afternoon, two hours before closing. Uh, these are really good stress tests. One month in Europe, that is a stress test. Like I fully believe that doing that, I mean, you're out of your element. You're in places where you have no street knowledge. You know, you might not know the language. You might be in different family dynamics you know, that's a lot of stress in a relationship. And I feel like if you can make that, then uh, yeah, he should feel comfortable in proposing to you. All right. We have questions mm -hmm. from the audience. So let's take those questions. Welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker hotline. How can we help you? Oh, hi, Matchmaker Maria. How are you? I'm good. Um, well, I wasn't going to say anything, but then you said if you had a rant or something, or you just wanted to say something, but first I have to say, Thank you so much for your podcast that you put up this week. That was a best of because I had never heard it and it should be required listening for everybody. I love it that. was amazing. I wanted to cry as I listened to it all the way to work. It was so good. Dr. Lindsay Kite is a gem. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, please go check that out. Um, I was, I felt really good. You know, there's certain episodes that are just really good. And I was just like, we should, we got to rebroadcast some of these old ones. Like I need a break, but also, you know, let's put this, put this up. Cause I don't think a lot of people have heard it. So I'm, that feels so validating that you said that I'm so happy. It, 
I screenshot your episode and put it in my group chat of all my teacher friends because I'm a teacher and we have like a big uh, group chat. And I was like, girls, you all need to spend a half hour and listen to this one. You know, I said, I promise you it is not 12 dates. It's none of the dating rules. It's not, you know, because they're so tired of me talking about the 12 date rule. So oh my God. I love <laughs> but, okay, that. here's here's my, here's my little like thing that happened. So I, um, I'm divorced after 28 years of marriage. It's officially done over. Congratulations. Yes. Um, and I got married, I wish I had like known you back then. Um, I got married when I was 23. So that was probably the big mistake right there. Um, and, um, I'm now dating and I'm using the apps and I did have a phone call with, um, Felix and it was so good. Oh my goodness. Or, um, I'm like one of your, I'm sorry. Louis. One of the, yeah. 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 Louis. Louis. Yeah. So good. So good. Um, anyway, so he gave me a lot of really good tips and I've really been using them and I am very open with my expectations for dating and stuff. So I went out on the state and I've, we've had four phone calls, like four really good phone calls. We've had two dates um, and we have a lot of common interests. He's 53, I'm 54. We oh. live about an hour away and I live in a metropolitan area where there's like a very big city to the west and a very big city to the north. And I live kind of like in a smaller area. So he has to come through one of the cities to the north of me in order to get. So it's a 45 minute hour trip. Um, so we've been trying to meet in the middle. And then um, like, but every time we get together, we have like our kid, our, um, our kids are the same age. My son's a senior in college. His is a junior. We vibe like on 80s music. It's been like really fun. So after our second date, it was kind of like, you know, nine o'clock and I was like, well, what do we do now? You know? (laughs) So I was like, well, you can come back to my house if you want and hang out, but it's a PG-13 date. Like it's not, we're not doing like, this is a PG-13 thing. Like I get it. If you come my way, it's an hour drive and I get like if you are going to spend the night, but we are not doing anything because we are not at 12 dates and I'm sticking to that. Um, and he was fine with that. And we watched TV and then we went to sleep. Oh, my gosh. But like and I did benefit from it. So I will say that. Um, and um, <laughs> but at 1:30 in the morning, I woke up because he snored so bad. I had right. to leave my room and sleep in my guest room. Okay. That's it gonna was, happen. He's a human. It being. was awful. I mean, and then I, I we woke he probably up at needs 30. a CPAP machine, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's what one of my friends said. So seriously, yeah, that's they, not. It's not a big deal. He's just snoring. Yeah, but it was I like so I'm a teacher and I am exhausted during the week and on the weekends I need my sleep. So totally. anyway, I just was like I don't know what I felt almost like the morning after when I like come back into my bedroom and he was like, "Oh, your bed is so comfortable and your pillows are amazing and your your house is so comfortable." And I was like, I all I was thinking was am I wrong? Presented him. You get I, I get it. Huh? You resented him because he got a good night's sleep and you didn't. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But But like snoring is just part of like the human experience and that I know it sucks. Um, There's a lot of solutions to this though. Okay. So one, you should ask if he required, I don't know if he has one, but maybe he can share this with you on his own if he has a CPAP machine because he maybe he has like sleep apnea and you know, there's ways around this. Right. Um, okay. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, and I know this is going to sound a little taboo, but I grew up in a house like this where, you know, my dad's like a huge snore, like the mm-hmm. house vibrates when he snores. George is smiling because he knows exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. And, uh, you know, my parents' solution to this was having separate bedrooms. Mm-hmm. And I know that might not sound sexy, especially if you're a cuddler, but you know, the, I think you just have to weigh like how important is a good night's sleep to you and how important is having a good man next to you as well. Right. So like, I don't Correct. know anything about this person. I don't, he, you know, you seem comfortable enough to have him sleep over. Yeah. I don't, I think it was more of me just trying to figure out what he, it's so difficult to figure out what to do because, you know, you go out to eat and then you, you know, you kind of hang around and then it's like nine o'clock and then I'm 
you know, I'm 54 years old. I'm, I, he was saying, you know, he's kind of like, well, what should we do now? And I was like, well, I'm not going to a club and I don't want to go to another bar to drink. Oh, well that's yeah. So just so you know, like, this is what dating is like, especially if you're an hour apart, like you're right. not 21, you are going to be spending a lot more time now at each other's houses or, right. you know, your stuff day to day and, you know, getting more vulnerable. Um, you know, I want to give George an opportunity to answer talk about this too, because I believe he also sleeps with a snorer, even though he would never hurt my feelings and tell me that to my face. He's always like, no, you don't snore, but I know I snore. So how do you, how do you make it work? Uh, you don't snore. I mean, you did, you used to snore when uh, you were pregnant a lot. That was annoying, but usually like a little uh, nudge and then you will stop for the next 30 minutes. So, you know, it was a cycle. But I think I think that's very old in the relationship. Uh, it seems that you're having fun, you're having a good time with this person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not in the twelve days anyway yet. Right. So I will say, you know, it's something that you can bring up in the discussion later on. But for now, just take it as is. I mean, it seems you're really having fun, so I wouldn't make this like be in the way. And as Maria said, you know, you can. Uh, he might already have like a CPAC machine and. Uh, something that helps him with the snoring, uh, but he was not in his house, so he didn't have access to it. So, you know, I, I right. think eventually it will come up in the discussion. You can bring it up uh, at some point. And uh, I, I'm sure that if that's the only reason, there's a solution around that. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. I would say, uh, keep having fun with this person, uh, going on dates, uh, going to museums. So you don't have to, you know, go always to bars, live shows. Uh, have fun, uh, and after the twelve dates, you can discuss this more. Do probably, it. if if you get if it goes farther, you're looking for things to do, like <laughs> do a dance class every week. Um, like there's yeah. a lot of, um, you know, things that you can participate in, like socially, um, every week, where you know you're adding another experience to it that's not just like limited around like someone's house. Um, that's what I was just thinking as I was talking to you is that I, I was going to say, should I, I feel like I should come up with an idea that is more of an experience for us to do the next time rather than let's get together and have dinner again and then get to the end where we're like, now what do we do? Because we want to keep spending more time together because mm-hmm. we were, you know, we were having fun. But like, you're right, like I need to come up with experiences and there's plenty between the two cities that we live right next to. Do you guys have a top golf in either of your cities? Yes, we do. Oh we my actually God, have a is... brand new one and it's right between the two of us. That's a uh, really good idea. It is so much fun. Like George and I will do top golf any day. Like we, that's, we, you know, we should do that next week. Mm-hmm. I should send him a text message and ask him if he wants to do that. Yeah. That is so much fun because like, it's also an opportunity for them to like put their hands on your hips, uh, get some alcohol and you get to swing mm-hmm. a club and, um, you know, be cute. Wear a okay. dress. Okay. <laughs> um, pick it up. Uh, no, yeah. And um, yeah, if this is like the one thing, this is like just, it's so solvable. Like there's okay. so many ways. And also um, I'm I'm very new to this game, but like I just got my first pair of AirPod Pros. I don't even hear my kids crying. <laughs> That's where you got them. Well, you've been wearing them for years. So now I see what yeah. you've been doing. Mm-hmm. Well, Th- thank you. I mean, that makes me feel better. You actually make me because I was starting to, I definitely had resentment the next morning because especially when he said your bed and your pillows are so yeah. comfortable. I was like, yeah. And my sister's but- guest bed that I keep for her was so uncomfortable. So get a new mattress for your sister. <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you talking about right now? Like, honestly, um, look, as someone who I used to date, I, I know I snore and I used to date someone and okay, maybe I don't snore anymore, but there was a time when I did snore. And I remember dating someone who, um, you know, I guess I was snoring next to him and he kept waking me up, um, every 10 minutes to be like, you're snoring, you're snoring, you're snoring. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I don't know what you want me to do, dude. I'm like, I'm sleeping and Mm -hmm. this is happening and I'm so sorry, but like, this is also something I cannot control. So right. either you're going to move yourself to another room, uh, get noise canceling headphones, that technology exists now. Um, or, you know, he has a CPAP machine and that helps him with his breathing. Um, but like, you know, it's, it's not fair to him to be resentful, right? You're just, you just lack sleep. That's all it is. 
Yeah. And so, and I will say that's gross on my part because I just picked up my pillow and left and went and spent the night because back when I was married with my ex-husband, I wanted to put a, you know, I, I would get annoyed and I would do what you were talking about, wake him up and get annoyed and get annoyed and, and, and everything. So this uh, now I was just like, all right, cool. Well, I've got three other bedrooms. So let me just pick one, you know? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. You've got, you have other bedrooms, like <laughs> girl, you know, if it, let me tell you something, if you guys start dating, like make one of those bedrooms, be your bedroom, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's okay. You can have, and it's great because you can have like sexy time and then it's like, mm-hmm. okay, everyone to their respective rooms. Um, <laughs> I get to sleep really well. You get to sleep really well. And then it's like, whoever wakes up first, right. Right. Come to the other room and cuddle. Like, and then you have all that anticipation overnight. Look at me, George. Uh, okay. We're not getting separate rooms, me and you, because you've learned to live with my snoring, but I'm selling this. I'm, I'm telling yeah, you, you are. what my parents did. Right. Like, so I, I grew up in a house like this. That was That's my norm. Awesome. Well, but thank also, you. You made as, me feel better. So yeah. Also, as you said, you know, if you're a cuddler that might not work for you, but th- there are so many solutions right now for snoring. They're mm-hmm. like, uh, what's called like a sleep, um, sleeping schools, academies, whatever the core that you go there and you sleep there for a couple of days and they monitor everything and they tell you everything that's wrong with you. And they give you the right machine and then you never snore ever again. So there are a lot of solutions. Yeah. Mm, okay. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for calling in. All right, George, we have a written in question and medical guy, a couple of times at parties with girl. So play parties. I don't know what that means. In three months, we saw each other again and I had to two stayovers, but then he disappeared. I sent him the, did you die message? No answer. I caught feelings as we had great conversations and he is that big spoon I was looking for. I do not see a question in that, um, but let's talk about it. Um, how to get over this guy, <laughs> essentially, I think is the question. Uh, this guy who's nobody to you, this guy who you saw a few times at parties and then you saw each other three months and you had two sleepovers. I assume in those sleepovers, you probably slept with him. Uh, I'm just going to assume it. Um, you said that, did you die message? He didn't answer. I presume he also did not die. He's just ignoring your message. Uh, I am so sorry that you caught feelings. The way to get over those feelings is to remind yourself that those feelings are your, is, is you experiencing grief, um, over a fantasy, right? When we start dating someone and start spending time with them, we start to fantasize what the future could look like. So if you started dating someone in April, for instance, you might already be envisioning, oh, maybe Memorial Day weekend, we'll do this and I'll wear this. Or when he visits my family, maybe we will take this route because this is the nice scenic route to get to my parents' house. And maybe we'll have these conversations. Um, you'll talk, you'll think about 4th of July. You'll think about maybe what I'll wear on 4th of July to look really cute. And hmm, I wonder whose barbecue will get invited to Maybe I'll visit his family. Like you start to fantasize about the future. That's a natural thing to do when you start dating someone, you like someone. But when they take it away, when they take that rug beneath your feet, especially when you're not expecting it, especially when you were still fantasizing, you still are holding onto this fantasy. And what you're experiencing right now is the grief over those fantasies that are not going to happen. It's why when you date someone for a year, nine months to a year, and if they break up with you, you might think of them less than this person who you only went out with two times. Because that person you dated for nine months to a year, you broke up, you did all the fantasies, you had those experiences, right? You you fulfilled all those milestones that happened in the first six to nine months of dating someone. And it just didn't work out. It, you know, you exhausted whatever it was in that relationship, you've broke up. But this guy is so new, you've kept onto this fantasies, you're grieving over those fantasies. And now you tell me I caught feelings. You did. I'm sure you caught feelings. That's totally valid. But we need to also acknowledge what you're currently experiencing, which is also valid. And that's not necessarily catching feelings. It's the fantasy. And I'm here to tell you that I'm so sorry that he did not provide you the closure that you most definitely are deserving of. It will take time to get over them, to get over that grief, to get over the fantasies. The fastest way to get over those things is to meet someone new because then you'll re-fantasize with a new person. And then the cycle continues. All right. 
I have a new question. Hi, Maria. Thank you for doing this. I have a very embarrassing question. I have not been in a sexual relationship ever, and I am now 30 years old. It was a conscious decision on my part, but now being 30, I feel weird about telling my potential matches that I have never done the deed. I'm actually embarrassed by this, and I don't know how to approach it. Do you have anything to say? Because I have a lot to say. First of all, you should not be embarrassed about that. That's the first thing I want to say. Like that's, uh, especially now that you said that it's a conscious decision, that's fine. And I think if someone is a potential match for you and uh, you think it's potential match and they don't respect that decision that you had up to this point, maybe they're not the, the right match for you. Uh, I think this is absolutely fine. And uh, it might not be what, uh, you know, everybody's doing. Not everybody, but most of people are doing, but it is a very valid choice and, you know, it should be respected and it should not be something that you should be feeling embarrassed about. And honestly, I don't know if it's something that you have to disclose at, at any point either. Like it's not uh, something not that business. you should. Hmm? It's not their business. Exactly. It's not, it's not their business. Yeah. So I don't, and, uh, but definitely, definitely not being embarrassed about it. No, absolutely not. Yeah, I have two things to say about this. And I completely agree with, you know, what you just said, George. But the first thing that I think about is like, you're only a virgin. And I hate that word, by the way. Um, but you're only a virgin until you're not a virgin, right? It's that's just the it, it's a social construct. Uh, so you are until you're not. Um, and I think it's just kind of going, getting, you know, getting to that milestone. I think that's like worrying you. Um, but then I also want to acknowledge that like, you know, we are all made up of our own core values, our cultures and our experiences. And so much of what compatibility is, is exactly that is sharing in those core values and experiences with other people. Um, and not necessarily having the same culture, but maybe complementary cultures that have similar values, you know, core values though, is at the core of core values at the core, I hate being that redundant, but it's just the words I can only use, uh, of a good foundation in a relationship that is compatible in a compatible relationship. So if you're the kind of person who would consciously decide to maybe not make, you know, sexual experiences a priority for a few years, you're most likely going to also be dating people who might have similar core values as you. And that does not necessarily mean that, oh, they did not have, um, you know, sexual experiences, but I think it translates in different ways. Um, they might be also prioritizing other things too. I'm not saying that they're not having sex, but what I am saying is that they might be the kind of people who would appreciate that you prioritized other things as well. It's like when I hear, I know this is like a completely different, um, subject, but it's whenever I hear about women saying like, I don't want to pay on a date. How do I date men that only that would don't, that would also pay on a date. And I just like, if you want to date men who would pay for your first dates, then you need to come to terms with what that person might look like from a core values and cultural perspective. But if you're open to dating someone who maybe is a feminist or um, maybe someone who believes in equitable household, those guys might also pay for the first date. That is the status quo. But if they don't, does that mean that it's the end of, you know, the world too? So I think it just, at the end of the day, it goes back to like, you know, who are you dating? Do they share in your values? Because right now you're a, that social construct. I'm a virgin. Uh, it, it exists until it doesn't exist. And like George said, there is nothing to be embarrassed about. Thank you for your question. All right. I have another question. I'm nervous. I want to know how relationships change at the six month mark, especially for adults in their thirties. Things feel like they're shifting, but I also have anxious attachment for whatever reason. I find asking this really vulnerable, George, I feel like, you know, the answer to this, cause you've probably heard me talk about this a lot. Do you know what the answer is to this? Uh, no, I don't think so. Come on. Eros and Agapi. Oh, okay. That okay. I I see where you're going. Why Why is she experiencing a shift at six months? Pop because quiz. you go from eros to agape. Eros is kind of the last um, the love where agape is kind of like the deeper deeper love. You know, it's not just like last is caring for each other, and that's happened. Hmm? It's a choice. It's a choice. Yeah, and I think for people in the thirties. Because you're more uh, closer to, um, to, you know, 
to marriage or a more permanent relationship if you're not just in marriage, that's kind of the whole process accelerated. If you're in your 20s, it might take about a, a year or maybe two years to do the jump. But in the 30s, it just goes a little bit faster. Yeah. So what George was saying about Eros and Agape, I just want to like make a little bit more clear for those who don't uh, know this. So if you don't know this, Greek people have like five words for love and I don't know, a thousand phrases for I love you. Um, but uh, the, the two most important words when it comes to love in Greek is eros and agapi. So eros means lust, agapi means like the all-encompassing unconditional love. So when you start dating someone, um, and I know this is very limiting in the English language, so I'm going to say it in Greek for a second, right? So when I started dating George and I started catching feelings and I fell love for him, I didn't, I didn't say, I love you. I said, which literally means in English, I am in lust for you. But the word erota, it's, you know, it, it's, that's what that means, right? Eros. Uh, so it means lust and that's, that's something natural, right? That is your chemicals, uh, coming up. You've got oxytocin, you've got adrenaline, you've got dopamine, you've got serotonin, you've got all the good hormones and chemicals running through your body that make you feel like you love this person. And again, I'm very limited in English language saying this, but what ends up happening between month four and month seven is the transition to agape. So at some point, Eros will naturally plateau, right? It's why in the beginning of any relationship, you're like fucking like bunnies. And then eventually it's maybe a couple times a week. There's nothing wrong with your sex life. The Eros has plateaued. And then you have to decide, is this going to be agape? Is this going to be, I love you? Is this going to be that all encompassing love that I'm choosing to be with you? Now that the hormones have plateaued, how do I feel about this person? And so you're saying the month six mark and George just noted about people in their thirties and over it's you, you're in the place of like, this could be my person. It's fizzling. You have to ask yourself if it's fizzling out or if you're in transition, because if you love them and they love you, then you are transitioning into agape, I hope. But if you feel like it's fizzling out, that means it's just not transitioning into the next stage. And it's very normal to experience this at six months. It's incredibly normal. It's a good question. All right, George, I have one last question. It is another mm -hmm. written in question. What are your thoughts on the statement that men are more visual than women when it comes to dating? As someone with scoliosis, it feels like I don't stand a chance if that's true. I don't know if the pun was intended here, but I am LOLing. George, I think this question is towards you. You're a man. Uh, I don't think that actually the statement is true. I think that uh, there's some women and some men that might be more visual and some people who want to get to know the other person more before uh, they decide. So I don't think it's something that you can generalize. Uh, it depends on what demographics you're looking, right? If you're in the very young people demographics that they use, uh, you know, let's say, what's a Tinder and all these apps that they swipe left and right very quickly, yeah, maybe that's more visual, but that's both for men and women. Uh, but if you're looking for something in, in different demographics or like older people who, you know, that don't use the, the uh, you know, Tinder, they go with other apps or, you know, uh, through social circles to meet people. I think that's something that you shouldn't worry about. I wouldn't generalize that. You know, I've met a few people that have... Um mobility issues. Um, I recently met a woman who had cerebral palsy. Um, and she asked me how to put that in her profile. And I told her, you know, I, if you're in a wheelchair, I, and I don't think she was in a wheelchair. I believe she was, has, she has crutches, like she uses crutches to, to transport herself, mm -hmm. um, as an aid. Um, I said to her, you should have a pro you should, I believe that one or two of your photos should show the instrument that you're using to walk. Um, cause that is, that's not, I don't think that's your core identity, but that is part of you and it's going to be on the date. Um, and I don't know if that was necessarily the correct advice. I don't know what Erica would say, but, um, Erica's our online dating manager on the Agape team. Um, but that's the advice that I gave her. And you know what? She replied back, you know, she said after a month that it really works, she's been going on more dates and that, you know, 
she didn't feel like she was hiding anything um, because she felt like she was being forthright. Now having scoliosis for a lot of people that that's also like a hidden thing. Uh, you're not able to usually tell in a lot of photos that someone might have scoliosis. Um, you can certainly try, I don't know if I would necessarily mention it in a profile or if I would even mention it in messages, maybe I would, I don't know. I think this is an opportunity to AB test it. But if you have something like that, my first reaction is like, make Eventbrite your online dating site. Put yourself in social opportunities where you are meeting people in real life instead of the stress of I'm hiding something or is this person visual or you know, when do I say this? If you're out and people are meeting you, which is you're kind of queuing into the visual stuff right away. Okay. Now they see you. So if now they're flirting with you, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, it's not something that they're thinking about. It's just, we've moved on from that. And I think it does take away that. And I, and I say this to a lot of people too, that online dating doesn't always work for a lot of people. For me personally, it didn't work that well because back when I was online dating, I'm a 5'11 woman. And I, I was also, you know, I'm a voluptuous woman and I believe that a lot of men, uh, were not looking for someone like me back when I was online dating. Um, this was a very long time ago. So I know things have certainly shifted. Um, but you know, just kind of being a little bit more aware of what environments you're putting yourself on, be it digital or in person is going to have a different outcome. And experiment, play around with it. The more you experiment, the less you put this thing on a pedestal. Dating is supposed to be fun and we get to date. We don't have to date. And the best way to fix that mind, to, to fix the, those are that mindset is to put yourself in a place where you have as many opportunities as possible. That's the advice that I would give you. And I thank you for your question. I think it's a fantastic question. So here's how I'm going to end this week's episode. George, first of all, I want to thank you for coming on the Ask a Matchmaker hotline. Thanks for having me. It was fun. I also want to thank you, listener, for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. And if you enjoyed this episode, why don't you head over and give us a five-star review? Take, Give me a like. Head on over there. I'll take a review. Uh, I also want to remind you one more time that I'm hosting a Eurovision party in New York City at Ulysses Bar. I have the whole venue plus the outside on Stone Street. So you got to register. The link is in the show notes and your ticket includes your welcome toast and a specialty cocktail. I'm also going to be raffling off prizes. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's on May 13th in New York City. Get those tickets before it sells out. And for those who don't know, Maria is a Eurovision connoisseur and her master thesis was actually in Eurovision too. That's so right. you're dealing with a professional Eurovision fan here. I'm a Eurovisionologist. Yeah, Eurovisionologist. I am. Excuse me, sir. I am a Eurovisionologist and I cannot okay. wait to share this with everyone who's listening, who's going to come. Uh, again, link in the show notes. Uh, I know one of our callers talked about her call with Louie. It is a life-changing call. So if you want to uh, book a dating assessment with Louie, I've got that link in the show notes too. Anyway, that's the end of this, this episode. Be lovable, but more importantly, be likable. See you next week. <laughs>